Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey listeners, in this episode, we are continuing our series of women leading in a crisis. This woman, Sue Mashney, was at the epicenter of the COVID crisis in New York City, leading uh, Mount Sinai Health System. So it was fascinating to hear all of the different things that Sue helped uh, to lead her team and her, her organization throughout the pandemic. Excited to have Sue Mashney as a guest. But before we get into the episode, I want to remind you that my book is now available on Amazon. Go check out how pharmacists lead answers from women who are leading, succeeding, and impacting pharmacy. It's a great book dedicated to women in pharmacy leadership. So today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest is Sue Mashney, who is the VP and Chief Pharmacy Officer at Mount Sinai Health System. Sue, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Hillary. I'm very excited to be here. Well, thanks for joining us, Sue. And, you know, um, I just wanted to share on this topic about women leading through a crisis, specifically with COVID. Um, that has been um, the the big topic of 2020 and is continuing to be in, in 2021. And, um you know, um, Harvard Business Review even just released an article in um, December of 2020 talking about how how women are doing um, in leading during a crisis. And so I just wanted to kind of um, have you on as a guest, as one of uh, the, the leading um, uh, pharmacists for one of the big health systems in the country. And uh, they're in Mount Sinai in New York City, where you guys have just been in the thick of it. So, um, you know, first, I guess we'd love to hear a little bit about your leadership journey. And because you've been you've been a pharmacy leader for a while now, and it might be helpful just for people to hear, you know, how you kind of got your your start or where how you ended up a, as a, a chief pharmacy officer. Um, that would be great. Sure. So thank you again for having me, Hillary. Um, you know, I, I think pharmacy has been, um, you know, really good to me. So my dad, I grew up, my dad was a pharmacist and I kind of grew up, um, you know, going, I have really good memories of going to his store on Easter Sunday and, um, putting the, the uh, nickel in the little horsey and riding one of those little automated horsies and getting a, a Coke at the counter because we were filling a prescription for somebody or he was filling a prescription for someone that needed and had an emergency. And I always felt really comfortable, um, you know, in that environment and, um, you know, feel blessed that I found pharmacy or that pharmacy found me. Um, and I'm one of those people that have had a wide variety of pharmacy roles in, in the course of, um, of my career. Um, this year, I'll be, um, it'll be my 35th anniversary from graduating from pharmacy school, which I'm like, oh my God, it's been a long time. Um, 
But, you know, I've been really blessed and lucky that I've had the opportunity to be, you know, a pharmacist and really do the hard work and love that. So, you know, work started at Ohio State, um, did my um, training there um, and went to Johns Hopkins and I was a clinical pharmacist there in, in the neuro ICU. Um, and that was really exciting and interesting. And, um, and then came back to my hometown of Cincinnati, um, where I got the opportunity to, with two other women, open a neonatal ICU pharmacy. It was the first time they had a pharmacy there. It was a 70-bed NICU that had been functioning really without a pharmacy, which is kind of crazy, thinking back to it. Um, and spent a lot of time in peds and just loved being you know, a neonatal and pediatric pharmacist. I also worked for Cincinnati Children's and did... Um, when my kids were little, um, I did home infusion and pediatric hospice. That was, you know, really, really a great role and, and really enjoyed being able to take care of those peds patients. Um, and it worked well with my lifestyle, you know, as at the time when my kids were little and, and I wanted also for them to see them watch sports and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But then once they kind of got back into school and, and, um, in, in that kind of thing. And I had a little bit more time to be working again. Um, I got back into doing adults and, and then more of a leadership role. So when, um, I think the big change for me was once, once the electronic medical record came and Epic started to be, uh, implemented across the country, um, I was charged with standardizing formulary and building standardized order sets, um, mm-hmm. for, at the time, it was Catholic Health Partners, became Mercy Health, and now it's um, Bones of Her Mercy, um, 35 hospitals. So that process of, you know, standardizing formulary and then implementing um, and, and keeping ma- the maintenance of formulary and order set development for a large health system like that, um, you know, was really my introduction to the role of, of uh, pharmacy leader at a health system perspective. Um, and then I was just blessed enough to be able to step into the chief pharmacy officer role for Mercy at the time after the EPIC implementation was somewhat completed. Um, so very exciting and interesting and, and stimulating. I think for myself, um, you know, going along the kid route then, you know, flash forward a couple of years and my kids have all graduated from college um, mm-hmm. and uh, the Peace Corps, one's a military wife in Japan, um, and one's going back to law school and my husband and I were like, you know, what, what are we going to do? So I called mm-hmm. it my post excellent adventure that um, we decided to move to New York city just about three years ago. Um, and bec- to become the chief pharmacy officer of, of Mount Sinai, they had not had a chief yet. Um, mm. They had, had a director that had was a director of the hospital and then had oversight over some of the system. Um, but they really had become just systematized by some, bought some additional hospitals. And uh, so we kind of just went from there, not knowing COVID would happen or those kind of things. But that's pretty much my uh, introduction into pharmacy leadership. Wow. And I, you know, I love that um, you also share about, you know, different seasons of your life and kind of um, find, you know, you you had a lot of different um, career paths, if you will, between um, the ICU and peds and adults and and then into leadership. And I think that that's so important for people to hear is that um, you may not stay, you know, exactly where you are. Um, Sometimes a little bit of change is good and um, change is also good depending on the the season um, of your life and family and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So, yeah, little did you know that uh, three years ago when you moved to New York for, you know, an exciting uh, post-kids adventure with your husband, that you would really be in quite the adventure of leading the pharmacy team for Mount Sinai through this major crisis in New York, of course, everyone knows, was one of the hardest hit places. Share a little bit about, you know, what it was like being on the ground there and then what, um, in what ways were you leading your team uh, during the pandemic? Sure. So, um, you know, interestingly enough, my daughter that was military mom in Japan, um, was um, newly expecting a baby and had a toddler and was feeling really morning sick. So when COVID broke out, I was in Japan um, helping. And um, her husband was um, here in the United States doing some training. Mm -hmm. So we both experienced of traveling. You know, he he came back to Okinawa and I came back to the states um, during the the first time. So I got the telephone call that we had a patient test positive um, for COVID. And it was one of our medical residents that had traveled internationally. It was the first COVID case in the United, in, in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, I pretty much said, you know, we're really going to need you to get back here, but you're also going to be quarantined mm-hmm. um, because coming from an international flight. Um, so that was my beginning of the quarantine of the next year of, of lots of quarantining, obviously, like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just dove right in. So, you know, in the beginning, we had a really robust emergency management system in New York, as you can imagine, um, within the health system, because we have so many kind of these types of emergencies. Mm-hmm. Um, our health system, um, people are still pr- pretty much reeling from Hurricane Sandy. Mm-hmm. Has a short-term memory about the implications of that in healthcare, and so many hospitals had to be shut down, and um, it was just a massive effort. And I think people rejuvenated our emergency our emergency management department, pretty much took over and got us into emergency management mode. So you know, we just jumped into um, you know it was a face-to-face meeting where we were all sitting around tables without masks on. To um, it all of a sudden became you know. Um, a quarantined mask wearing virtual emergency management team, um, you know, they had to take on this, this uh, massive, you know, challenge. Um, I would say that initially some of the really exciting things that we did in retrospect were um, one of my team members, Joe Pinto is really aligned well with all the rest of the pharmacy directors in New York. He's a long time, he's a lifetime New Yorker. Started having nightly meetings with all of the pharmacy directors across both New York City and then it became New York State oh. um, to talk about how we were dealing with stuff wow. because things were moving so quickly. And then we started reaching out to David Chen from ASHP, to um, our local DEA reps, to our board of pharmacy folks. Um, and as time rolled out, and this was really quickly, those people started attending the meeting. So um, Paula Bramowitz from ASHP ended our meeting mm-hmm. um, a couple of times. Um, FDA people on, we had people from USP, um, you know, local boards of pharmacy um, really to get, hear from us what we needed and how we were going to be dealing with things. Initially, obviously, you know, there were massive shortages and mas- massive operational issues around, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting getting product in 
to the hospitals. Um, and then we started having issues with dealing with the doses and, and uh, the escalating doses and, and developing clinical protocols as well as investigational protocols. Mm-hmm. So I think the EUA process that happened initially um, was something else that you know really caused a lot of a lot of angst and and really caused um, us to get together and really use that collective intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that really was key and critical for us to being able to to spin so quickly mm-hmm. um, and, and bring everything up. Yeah. Self, I, I think the um, the thing I'll never forget and that was most impactful for me um, was opening the the t- the tent. So we partnered with this company called Samaritan's Purse. Mm-hmm. Who- to help us out. Um, and we basically popped up a tent in New York, in the middle of Central Park. Um, so, you know, for those folks that don't know, Mount Sinai Hospital is um, is right across the street from Central Park. So we're on the Upper East Side, um, really not far down the street from the Met, um, from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Um, beautiful, you know, right, right on between Madison Avenue and Fifth Avenue, um, on 98th and 102nd. So we popped up this tent in the middle of the park, 68 beds, ICU beds, ventilators, but they didn't have any plumbing. Mm. So if people have to walk to the bathroom, they had to go to a portalette, right? It was mm. crazy. Raining. Um, it was muddy. We would put on boots and run across Fifth Avenue to bring drugs over. Oh. Um, we had to get a DEA license. Um, I think that was the thing that was most um most impactful to me about, I never dreamt I ever have to deal with something like this. I mean, it, it was really, I think the last time they had had a military hospital in, in the park was um, something crazy like the civil war. Um, oh my. Yeah, it was um, insanity. So um, long answer, but um, those, those were some of my big, uh, you know, big remembrances of, of the early part of COVID. Wow. Oh my goodness. Um, well, I love the, the collaboration and, um, that, you know, I'm hearing and the, the need for communication and sharing, uh, learnings and things. And my goodness, like who could imagine setting up some type of like war zone, um, pop-up tent to take care of patients. Um, lots of, I'm sure a lot of planning and, and, you know, strategic thinking came into play with that. I mean, honestly, Hillary, we did not, we did not have time to do a lot of thinking, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we had to think, but it was very checklist, you know, we would get, you know, eight or 10 people in the room and it would be the physicians, Mm -hmm. um, a couple of our critical care docs, Mm -hmm. um, all hands on deck. If you can imagine, you know, going from um, no COVID patients to, at one point, I think we had about 2000 patients in the hospital. Across our health system, um, each hospital was in various states of anarchy because of um, leaders all were getting COVID, um, mm-hmm. and we would have to move leadership teams to the ho- two hospitals where mm-hmm. the whole leadership was down with COVID. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! You know, get together. Um, I, I think the thing I'm, I most remember was, you know, we would meet about six thirty in the morning to strategize about the what we would do at the day for the day with um, getting, basically getting through the day Mm -hmm. um, that we had to do with respect to 
the park or um, getting patients to the Javits or getting patients to um, to the ship um, to the USS Hope that that was um, docked right off mm-hmm. uh, a side of, of the city um, and really just check boxes around you know we would we would bring a bunch of people together that had good pharmacy practice skills mm-hmm. and just we have to do this 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 and that and um, you know everyone really we had to trust that everyone was going to do what they said they were going to do mm-hmm. because my usual state of trust but verify I did not have time to verify mm-hmm. um, or trust mm-hmm. um, you know which was hard but as as a leader um, I was proud of my team that, that they stepped up mm-hmm. yeah and I'm sure that you've been running on a lot of coffee and, and lack of sleep over the past year. Yeah, still, yeah. 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 Um, and with the, the vaccine rollout, um, you know, now and pharmacies continuing to play a big role in that. Um, and, you know, I know you've been interviewed by the media and, um, you know, have represented you know, your system, you know, you've represented pharmacy and, and have done such a, a wonderful job and, um, you know, showcasing the profession and, and just the work um, that you all are doing. What are some tips that you might have um, for other, you know, pharmacist listeners who might be fielding questions, whether it be from media or their even family and friends about uh, the vaccine? Sure. Um, so the first thing I would say is make sure if you're representing your health system, just make sure you have your media relations people with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I started to feel a little bit like I was on um, sort of a circuit. Um, the media relations people were pretty much contacting me, um, you know, day and night. But it was really important for us to to step up, both as from a Mount Sinai perspective and a pharmacy perspective. This this was you know, the time for us, this was our 15 minutes, right? To step, this is what pharmacy does. And this is what we do. Well, we manage, we manage healthcare in a crisis. And right now the vaccines are something that we can take ownership of. Um, and pe- we, people wanted more information. So we were glad to give it. Um, I think similarly, the communication strategy um, grew out of a, a team. So we set up um I think I in my calendar was October 15th, we had our first um, big team meeting where we started uh, putting together an infrastructure around tackling mm-hmm. um, the process and implementation at Mount Sinai. Um, and I would learn from the collective intelligence of, of the other leaders in the organization. So Dr. Aberg, who's our chief of infectious disease uh, expert on, um, on COVID, um, get information from her, Gopi Patel, one of the doctors that the infectious disease doctor that leads our antimicrobial stewardship program um, has taken a huge lead. Um, she's my, um, she's my speed dial person. Um, you know, I still talk to her twice every day oh, wow. about COVID vaccine, get information from her, make certain that we've, because it's impossible for one person, in my opinion, to really know everything about everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I would keep myself continuously um, up to date both following stuff you know, that I could read myself, but also having conversations with folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just make certain that you understand people, different people's perspectives. So one thing that was really important to me early on was to have um, a communications team that included folks like um, our leaders in diversity. So we have a chief diversity officer, um, 
we have a whole communications team that she helps us lead up so that we're making certain that we see the perspectives of all of our patients and employees. Um, we have people that are specialists in health literacy, um, people that are specialists in communications and, and um, international communicating with international groups of folks. Um, it, and then also doing a lot of exchange with different groups of people. So, um, you know, I've presented to church groups and, um, and, and local teams. I've presented to the state attorney general's office um, because they had questions about COVID vaccine. So basically, like I put myself out there to get the questions so that I understood, um, you know, where people were coming from and, and continue to learn and, and communicate. Our team reached out and got a list of about um, 150 commonly asked questions about COVID vaccine and helped research them for me so that we would be able to post that on our internet or and inter in internet as a resource. But then I also review them um, regularly so I know what the common questions are. Um, and I found that really helpful. But first, do you help patients with diabetes select their pin needles? And have you recommended the UltiGuard Safe Pack yet? When you dispense UltiMed's Pin Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack, you promote safe sharps disposal. This protects families and your community from sharps injuries and can reduce the harmful reuse of needles. Your selection can make a difference. To learn more about UltiMed's Pin Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack, visit UltiGuardSafePack.com slash podcast. UltiGuardSafePack.com slash podcast. U-L-T-I-G-U-A-R-D-S-A-F-E-P-A-C-K dot com slash podcast, ultiguardsafepack dot com slash podcast. Wow, that is amazing. Um, and I love, yeah, it is so hard for any one person to know everything, but to know who your go-to resources are. But it does, it requires a lot of reading just to stay up. And, you know, you thought before that information was coming at us, you know, at breakneck speeds. And now um, with, you know, something like COVID and we're like, well, we learned something new. Oh, now, you know, thinking about Tylenol and, and ibuprofen and their potential impact on the vaccine. You know, it, there's just so many different things that we keep learning and um, and uncovering and, and things change. So um, staying up to date is, of course, important. So, um, you know, kind of going back to um, some of the ways that, that you've been using your leadership skills, um, would you say there are any specific attributes that you feel that, that women leaders possess that make them particularly well-equipped um, to lead or especially during a crisis? Um, you know, I, I think because as, as women and not to be, I mean, I hate to put us in a box or whatever. Um, but, um, you know, I guess it's a well-known thing that women are really good multitaskers, right? Um, um, probably were raised to be multitaskers mm -hmm. from the get-go. And the ability to multitask while having um, compassion and um, good communication with others while you're doing that, um, I think in, in many ways can set women apart. I think during COVID, um, it was very important for us to be in tune with the staff, the patients, um, you know, even the public around what were the, you know, sort of the emotional triggers for people and to be cognizant of that. Um, 
when you're having interactions with them. And mm-hmm. as a team leader, you know, I had to keep everybody um, on task and I had, everyone had to know that I trusted them and I um, valued them so greatly. And um, I did everything I could to, to, you know, lift people up um, whenever possible. And I, and I think as a woman leader, um, you know, I think we're used to um, being put in a position where um, interaction with others might be a, a little more, um, have a little more emotional nature to it. And during COVID, that was really necessary. Um, um, in addition to dealing with one of the worst challenges that we've ever had as, as a pharmacy team, um, our team members were getting sick and their families were sick. And then we lost some team members um, to COVID. Um, and many of my team members lost really important people to them, whether it's their parents or a friend. Um, we lost um, dozens of, of, of our team members at Sinai to COVID. And I think that compassion and that need for understanding and making certain that we've aligned people with the resources that they need um, is also, you know, something that was helpful um, as a woman. I, the other thing is, um, I think the sense of community. Um, so for me personally, um, my sister is an educator. She's a principal at a, a really big elementary school, like 800 kids. We talk a lot about our challenges. We talk every day pretty much about our challenges. Um, and we try and lift each other up around, you know, what the challenges that we're facing, um, what we think that we need to do that day. Uh, and I think women are really good at using the strategic relationships in their lives to um, to help them to do a better job. You know, it, not that men aren't good at this, but I'm not a man, so I don't know. How much, but, um, but that's my experience. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And so, Sue. You know, as people are hearing uh, this story and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are really just in awe and inspired and, you know, maybe some people are thinking, wow, I don't know if I could ever do that. Or some people might be thinking, I want to be just like her. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to be, I see myself as a, as a leader of a health system one day. So as our final question, what is some advice that you would share with other female leaders or aspiring leaders? Um, you know, just step up. If opportunity comes your way, you know, don't be afraid to step up and say, I'll give it a try. I might not know everything about it, but I want to learn. And I want to participate. And, um, you know, I, um, so much of life is just opportunities that come to you in different ways that might not be expected. Um, and there's a lot of fear factor that people have around, you know, what ifs. Um, like you were saying, some people would say, I don't know if I could do this. One of my family members, when we moved to New York, one of my close members said, what if you can't do it? And I thought, God, that never even occurred to me. Mm. Like, you know, I, I'm not worried I can't do it. I'm, I, I try my best to keep my eye on the things I want to accomplish um, and having a positive attitude about the things that, you know, the opportunities that are in front of me, knowing that 
going to be things that are going to be challenging mm-hmm. um, and I have to face them off and um, and try not to be motivated by fear, try more to be motivated by um, opportunity and hope, mm-hmm. right? And, and, you know, you get one time around this world or this life, at least in this body or whatever, um, and I want to make the most of it. And I think just stepping up, um, saying yes, um, put me in coach, you know, have been the things that have helped me the most. I have to say that two things from COVID that I learned, um, the one was recently with COVID vaccine. So, you know, I raised my hand and said, I can, I can lead this up. I want to lead this up. I want to lead the charge in this for our health system. Um, about a month in, I realized that it was so complex between the federal, the state, mm-hmm. and the local government, um, issues that we were going to have with mm-hmm. um, how we were going to run the different uh, arenas where we were going to vaccinate. And we were in the middle of another COVID surge. And we had gone had a massive reduction, reduction in force because of, of um, financial implications of COVID in, at the end of 2020 have people to work like it you know it um and what i learned from that is that it was okay for me to ask for help it was okay for me to lean on the ambulatory care leadership from the physician perspective it was okay for me to lean on um, some of our data analytics people to help us do a better job with the data it was so much bigger than me and and i felt um I have to say, honestly, very transparently, it was kind of a blow to my ego because I felt like most of the things I've tried to do, I can step up and I can do it, but I couldn't do it by myself. It was too much. It was too, um, and and I wasn't sleeping and, um, you know, um, and and it was really starting to take a toll on me because I was, felt a sense of responsibility and, and, um, it was just too big. And I just had to say, okay, I'm, you know, it's, it's, I set up a committee structure and, and all those things that I'm used to doing. Um, but it was bigger than that from a leadership perspective, it needed people, a lot of people that had power to move mountains. Um, you know, and, and that was a good learning for me that, um, you know, know your limits, know your boundaries and know when you, and, and try not to let your ego get so big that you can't ask for help. And cause I'm, I don't think of myself as a, as, you know, a big ego person, but I think when you're a leader in crisis, um, you get used to just taking care of stuff. And the fact that you can't take care of it makes you feel like, you know, oh my goodness, like this was a failure. But it was just a process that mm-hmm. needed to grow. Um, the other thing was with COVID, I think is, um, you know, you got to give yourself a break. Like um, it, there's sometimes you have to do things like, you know, um, you know, transparently, um, I took a trip home, you know, um, and, you know, we drove, um, my husband and I drove back to Ohio uh, to see our families, like, um, the, you know, the beginning of the summer and we had to quarantine and we couldn't really see our families. Like they looked from the window and they brought us groceries and weight and stuff. Um, but we just needed a break. We just needed food and, (laughs) Um, it was really hard to get food during the pandemic when you lived in an apartment in New York um, because everybody was maxed out with the deliveries like Amazon and stuff. So you couldn't get food delivered. And um, so we were like eating like graham crackers and um, 
it was terrible. Like when you were quarantined, it wasn't, especially when you were sick, um, you couldn't leave and you couldn't get deliveries. So um, we just were hungry (laughs) and tired and wanted green sunshine. Um, You had to give yourself a break. You've got to be a, you know, you're still a person, you know, and um, Mm -hmm. you know, it takes a village. It, It really does. It takes a team. It takes a huge group people. And, and, um, I'm grateful that I've had the opportunity to, to be part of the Sinai team and the Sinai family. And, um, you know, grateful that I had the opportunity to step up during a once in a lifetime pandemic. Yeah. Uh, once in a lifetime and what a great opportunity. Um, and, and I'm sure they're so thankful that, that you were there and were, were in your position and all of the, hard work, um, that has been put in. And I hope that you and all of the pharmacy team and leaders everywhere are able to take those breaks when they need them and get some well-deserved rest, um, because they've really been leading and, and doing so much great work to take care of patients, um, for a long time. I'm really grateful that FEMA is stepping in to help us a little bit in New York with the vaccine, um, distribution because it's uh, it's challenging mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm help I'm happy to have some federal government open <laughs> <in> that <laughs> um, anyway so yeah it's it's um I appreciate your time today Hillary this is oh, good to think back you. and I get a little bit of uh palpitations when I think about those hard days of COVID but um you know there's there'll be lessons to learn to be learned from it for a long time Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. And I know you've got to get back to, to leading and and continuing to help with the vaccine. So thank you so much, Sue, for being a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating and reviewing it share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening. 